very welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. Coming to you from a slightly different location this week because I am currently walking down O'Connell Street in Dublin. Uh, it's Sportnovet, week nine in Sweden, so the kids are off. And the pandemic, of course, as we know, has been over, never to be seen again. Don't mention the word COVID ever again. And things have opened up a little bit, so we were able to jump on a plane and come over here to Dublin and see what Dublin has to offer. But we couldn't come over here and not talk to some of the people in the opposite situation to the Irish in Sweden. So today I'm going to try to talk to a couple of people, Swedish people, who've lived over here. Um, it's interesting to see the city. It's a lot different from maybe two years ago when uh, some of you would have passed through or been here before. One thing is it's not different is it's raining. It's that lovely fine rain that you just walk out and two seconds later you're completely underwater. But um, it seems to be fairly quiet around O'Connell Street. You know, it's, uh, I suppose all things are relative. There's a few people knocking around. Not that many tourists back just yet. We're told that these things are sort of uh, recovering. Um, pubs are open, they're taken away. Obviously not as good as our friends and sponsors of Fearsome's Pub there in Gamlastan in the old town of Sweden. Um, so there is a few decent places in Madigan's there in O'Connell Street because they say I begin at zero the other night and things are slightly beginning to come back to life. Still far too many Liverpool supporters on the streets, but uh, you get that wherever you go. But yeah, the vibes are beginning to pick up a little bit. Uh, Bellator were here last weekend. I was actually in a, a jiu-jitsu gym there last night training with a few lads. Masks are pretty much gone. Still a few people wearing them, but certainly outdoors there's very little sign of that. But um, there is a sort of a considerable Swedish community over here. Well, one of them is Anton, I'm just on the way to meet him now. Uh, Anton's a relatively young lad who moved here relatively recently. Sure, let's get to it, let's see where it takes us. Okay, so for those who didn't notice, I went out on Facebook and I found this group for Swedish people in Ireland. And through that I found Anton Bailund and he's sitting across from me now on South Ann Street. This is a slice of my personal history, right? Because there used to be a nightclub up there called McGonagall's and that was oh, where you okay, went chasing yeah. women back in the day. But that's gone. Most of the cafes that we were looking for are gone as well. Nice. Oh, well, everything's good, yeah, thank you. And there's a man looking after coffee and tea for Anton. But what I want to hear is, Anton, how in the name of God did you wind up here in Dublin in the middle of a pandemic in November last year? Yeah, so it's like a pretty sick story, actually. So I studied in the US, uh, applied for a few jobs, like over in the US and Canada, uh, by like any means, like a job very similar to this. And then the company like reached out to me and said that we wouldn't be able to fill like the position in the US, but they gave me an opportunity to come to Dublin instead. And I was just like, well, I might as well like explore a new country. Mm. And did you have, you know, had you heard of Ireland? Uh, like, you know, had you any sort of attitude towards it whatsoever? Is it like that little piece of Britain over there to the west kind of thing? No, not really. Like, being interested <laughs> in football and everything, you know, you have, like, Roy Keane and Robbie Keane and all of those things. But yeah. other than that, like, you always mash it together with Great Britain, which I've mm. got to know, and it's a very, like... You've learned not to here. do that, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should be pointed out as well that you're living in North Strand, which is one of the stronger Republican areas yeah. of the city. Yeah, <laughs> I've noticed, I've noticed. But how did, like, so they tell you, right, we have a, a, a job for you in Dublin. Did did you have time to decide or did you just go, right, let's do this? Uh, well, I had time, but I don't think like a week would be like sufficient to even to think about it. But I yeah. I went by it anyway and came here like two weeks after. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that like? Because like most of these big companies, they'll put you up somewhere for a week or a month or something. Yeah. And then you have to find an apartment, which is not an easy thing here. What was the first <laughs> few weeks like? Well, it was pretty like 
daunting in that kind of sense because I've come from like a pretty small town. It's like 40,000 inhabitants, 60k maybe. That's up in Fallen. In, yeah. Uh, is, is that in Hadi or Dalarna? No, it's in Dalarna. It's in Dalarna. Okay. Yeah. I always mix those things up. Ville Murtakangas will be going mad over here. Yeah. Yeah. No. So like to get by, you know, being dropped in another country, you know, completely mm. by your own, it's uh, kind of scary in one kind of sense, but it's also pretty exciting mm. to, you know, get to know, like, everything. And did, did you just sort of sit there on daft.ie looking for places to live, or did they give you any help finding a place? Um, so I got help, like, from a group, from a company uh, that helped me, like, to get in touch with the landlords and everything, but I also looked like daft and rent.ie and everything, mm. and learned that the housing market here is crazy. If <laughs> <laughs> you thought yeah. Stockholm was bad, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how did you... Like, are you happy with where you're living at the moment? Yeah, I'm very happy. I think you live, like, pretty central, you know. It's like a 20-minute walk, like, to everything, basically, yeah. in Dublin. That's, like, what... And you just walk. give your landlord all your money every month, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Super. There's coffee and tea over here now as well. This is marvellous. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was that sort of social side of it. So you're coming in from, I'm sure it's an American, is it an American company that you're working for? We don't have to mention the name or... Uh, it's Accenture I'm working for. Accenture you're working for, okay. Yeah. Um, the social side of that then, because they drop you in here, but you don't know anybody. You haven't worked for them in the States before or anything like that, right? No, no, exactly. And uh, the weirdest part is like with the pandemic going on, you're doing everything from home. Yeah. So you don't like get any physical contact with anyone like from the company. I think it took me like three or four weeks before I met anyone from a company, you know, in person. Yeah. So it gets kind of, you know, lonely sometimes, but it's been a cool experience. I can imagine, yeah. And then you're sort of, you're in North Strand, so your only contact then really would be going out and shopping or that kind of thing, yeah? Yeah, of course, you have roommates as well. Yeah. Um, so that's good in that kind of sense. And are they Irish people or are they other Swedish people? Uh, two Irish and one from South Africa, so... Have the Irish people behaved themselves, have they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> That's good to hear. And were they, were they a help to you then in settling in and, okay, this is the bus you get into town, this is the bus you absolutely do not get on. <laughs> they tell you the Lewis is free because we all joke about that because they never check the tickets. Did they help you yeah. in that way? Yeah, yeah, they helped me a lot, you know, to, like, read into the social cues and everything, you know, because, mm. like, I think I lived for myself, like, in the first month. Yeah. And there was so much, like, with the social cues, with the Gaelic, with everything, you know, they're just so confusing. Yeah. So like rugby, the whole country goes mad for rugby this time of the year, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I came here like the night from a rugby game, actually, so the, way, the streets were packed. Yeah, and you had no idea what was no, going no, on. No, no, exactly. Yeah. I was just... <laughs> and have you sort of learned then, like, I think, well, Ireland were playing Italy the other week, so that's not the most important game in the world, but does, do you pay attention to that, right? In the way that, say, somebody who's Irish and moves to Sweden, all of a sudden you have Vossa Luppets and you have, you know, Bandy Finale and, like, Anandos Bandy and all these weird things. Have yeah. you sort of, you know, gotten into that just yet? No, I just looked at a few sports. I mean, I think the hockey sounds like the Irish hockey sounds really cool. They're hurling, yeah? Yeah, the hurling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it goes so quick. It's incredible, I thought yeah. the floorball was quick, but yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Well, when the season really gets underway, because you would have come now after the, sort of the, the, the business end of the season was over, when that gets started now, you have the league is going on at the moment, but nobody really takes that seriously. But when the All-Ireland series gets started, go and see a game there somewhere. It's just, it's incredible when you see it yeah. live, you know? I always thought as well, it would make a great export to Sweden because of hockey and ice hockey and floorball that, you know, Swedish people might pick it up. But your interest in sports, uh, we just before we pressed record there, we were talking about that as well, because you started playing soccer over here, you started playing football, right? Yeah. How has that experience been? <laughs> well, it's been different, like, compared to what I played. Like, I played in Sweden, played in the US, like, so it's, it's been different. 
You're, you're being very modest now, Anto, because you played in college in the US. You played at a fairly good level, right? So, uh, how is it going over here when you get these sort of guys trying to kick the legs out of one year? <laughs> well, I think it's charming one kind of way. You know, you always hear about it. You know, like the Sunday League, you know, England, and then the Sunday League in Ireland. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's charming in one way, but yeah, it sucks also too. It's like <laughs> MMA with a ball nuts. thrown in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things is if you if you walk not too far from here, you can get a pair of shin pads that you can put on the backs of your legs as well. You oh. Know? <laughs> it's a smart move. Yeah. Have you found settling in? I mean, obviously, are you still working from home or do you go to the office now on occasion? Yeah, I'm still working from home. Yeah. So that, that part still hasn't taken off. They're just, as we're talking now, this is the week that they lifted restrictions in Ireland, right? Yeah. So how have you, apart from the people you live with and that kind of thing, have you been able to use the internet to make friends or to find out things about Dublin or have you been able to go out at all? So for me, like, I'm a person that's, like, like to be myself a lot. So, yeah. like, I've Went to the gym, you know, you meet some people there, here and there, you know, you have like the local pub, you know, for some like uh, football matches. So yeah. I think you meet some people there and of course joining a Sunday league team is... That's been pretty good, yeah. yeah. Good, yeah. Where's the team? Is it around North Strand there, is it? No, it's pretty far from here. It's like from up in Santry, so... Okay. It's pretty far. Ah, it's not that far, but... That's... No, it's like half an hour, you know, like, yeah. with fallen standards, you know, it's pretty far. Uh, that's only down the road by fallen standards, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's the name of the team up there? Uh, Mid Sutton Sports Link. Mid Sutton Sports Link. There you go. There's a few things have changed over time there, but Santry would be that'll be the part of the city nearly uh, close enough to where I came yeah. from originally. Um, have you played many games so far? I played two games so far. And have, how many times has somebody been sent off for tackling you? Uh, actually, zero. <laughs> <laughs> so far, you never. Yeah, know. yeah. No, it's been. It's not that dirty, but it's, of course, like, they're more prone to take a yellow card when they need to. So. Yeah, it's pretty tough out there. All Compared right. to Sweden, at least. But the one thing I learned was I was never the quickest player in the world, but now, you know, I just never hold on to the ball. Just don't wait long <laughs> enough because somebody's going to come, you know, and that's what I served me well. There is the leader of the Labour Party walking down the street. We'll say nothing because I was abusing him on Twitter this morning. Anyway, um, <laughs> one, of those, one of those odd coincidences in Dublin, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> Do you have any contact? You know, obviously we met through the, the Facebook group down for Swedish people in Ireland. So, say around Christmas time when things are a little bit different, did you go back to fall on the Christmas? No, unfortunately, I didn't have like that opportunity. So I stayed here uh, yeah. for Christmas. You know, like completely isolated. And, yeah. Jeez, yeah. that, that sounds pretty miserable there. But was it yeah, that bad? It, yeah, it was kind of like that bad. But also, yeah. like you also appreciate like the next Christmas and everything. You know, when you actually can celebrate with your family and everything. Yeah. So. And did you get involved in like you know? Uh, the Adventsvik, uh, Lussibull, uh, these kind of things that you would take for granted if you were at home? No, not really. Didn't go looking for those things? or No, actually no. not. I didn't feel like, you know, that Christmas spirit, you know, being for Fallen, you know, you always have snow, like, on the ground and everything, and here yeah. it was, like, five or six degrees. And the world's wettest rain, Yeah, basically. some rain as well, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> so, did, but did you bother trying to celebrate at all, like, getting a Christmas ham and a few meatballs in or that? No, not at all. You didn't do anything? No, I just took it, like, as a normal, you know, like, week off or whatever. Netflix so. and chill kind of thing? Yeah, basically, you know, went, going to the gym, uh, watching the, like... Boxing Day football and everything. So. Yeah. yeah, Jeez, that's a, it's a weird one because like when you think of all the traditions that are linked around that, and yet you wouldn't be alone in that because you know basically everywhere I've been this week since I came back is like there's people from Brazil, there's people from Spain, who are working in the bars and the restaurants and that, and they yeah. wouldn't have had a chance to go home for for Christmas either. You know, what, what do you miss most about Sweden? Now I know you've been out of Sweden for a long time at this stage. Is there anything that you go okay if I could get that here, I'd be really happy. Um, it's nothing like food or anything. I think it's just like family and friends. Yeah. Mostly. I mean, it's always that when I'm abroad, it's mm. of course you miss them. Yeah. And do you manage to keep in touch with them at all? 
like I mean online and that kind of thing or are you one of these yeah. people that when you're gone you're gone no no we have like some contact you know, online and the, the occasional phone call so but what did they say when you said I'm moving to Ireland <laughs> after being in America in college I mean they kind of expected it that I wanted to like did go, yeah. go abroad again um, I don't know I used to feel like I'm at that age you know when you want to experience as much things as possible so mm. and what do you reckon now that I mean, obviously you're here, you've, you've only sort of just arrived, so you're here, what, now three months at this stage, you've settled in a little bit, I hope the job is going well. What's the plan? Is the plan to sort of stay here for a couple of years and then move back to Sweden? Do you want to go back to America? Have you even thought that far ahead? Uh, I really want to go back to the US or Canada, like North America in general, like someday. Yeah. Um, at the moment I'm thinking about like studying and taking my masters. I don't know if it's going to be here or if it's going to be back in Sweden. Yeah. But I'm not thinking I'm going to stay here for more than a year. You're going to hang around for a year and see. Okay, this is the most dangerous question in the whole interview now, right? Uh -oh. So prepare yourself. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about Ireland so far? Favorite thing about Ireland? I would say like the pub culture is pretty interesting. Is the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like back in Sweden, you know, you only like invite people over to your living room, and there's only so many people that fit in your living room. Yeah, yeah. Here, because everyone lives so compact and everything, you know, you just meet like as a pub, as a living room, yeah. rather than that. So you can invite like with maybe 12, 15 people, you know, so you can just come over, you know, and spend time together. Mm. And I think that's pretty special compared to yeah. back in uh, Sweden. Yeah. I filmed that last night. I stopped into Madigan's pub there on O'Connell Street because it had Guinness Zero. I don't drink alcohol, so I went in there. Yeah. I just ended up chatting to the barman after a couple of minutes and there's a real sort of genuine warmth there, you know, yeah. where he was saying, oh yeah, I drink as well because, you know, I can't deal with hangovers anymore. And you find yourself, I didn't, that's the one thing after 23 years in Sweden that I haven't really discovered yet, is that, the, it, of course it exists, it exists in Veerstrom's pub and in the Dubliner and a few other places, I don't know, there's probably a good pub in Fallen as well, and if there's not, we might have to open one when you go back, you know? <laughs> um, what, if there's one more thing that you want to do or see or experience here in Ireland, what would that be? If you looked at it, you know, when you made up your mind to come over here and go, okay, I'll go because this is what I want to get out of it. What's that thing for you, Anton? I think it would be like the nature, maybe like a more traditional Irish experience because Dublin, I wouldn't say like, of course, there are a lot of Irish people here, but also people like from all over the world. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's a big bigger companies yeah. come here. Yeah, so you meet people from like other countries as well. So it might not be as Irish as you think, maybe, like in a sense. Yeah. You're seeing the landscape. I just think that Dublin maybe be a false picture like of what Ireland really is. So Most people from outside Dublin would agree with you there as well. Yeah. Right? Have you any plans to go down the country, up to Belfast, over to Galway, somewhere like that? No, not at the moment. But I'll probably like, get to it anytime soon. I mean, as soon as the weather gets better. Yeah. All right, and my very last question to you. This time next year, if we're to have this conversation again, where are we sitting, do you think? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't know. I'll tell you what, I'll be here. And if you're still here, you can come along here as well. Let's see you then. Yeah, sounds great. I was looking for a place to, uh, to live in Ireland. Because, you know, when I, when I moved away, I thought, well, I must come home, you know. Because I, I really suffer from homesickness. If I, if I don't get back to, to Dublin, not so much Ireland, Dublin. I'm a real Dublin man. If I don't get back to Dublin, within three months, then I really start to suffer from homesickness. Here you go, that was uh, Anton Bailun there, who's just moved to Sweden a few months ago. One of the interesting things we were actually talking about a little bit afterwards was uh, how little there is for people, or for young people to do, uh, that doesn't involve alcohol, even if he does enjoy going to the pub and everything else here in this country, uh, there is very, very little for people to do. Right, I am now in Portobello on the south side of Dublin. Very nice area altogether. There's building and there's buses and it's all going on here.
And if Anton moved here reasonably recently, Vanessa moved here, Vanessa Moore moved here a very long time ago. So I'm gonna go and meet her in her home now and see how long she's been living here and what she enjoys and doesn't enjoy about uh, being a Swede here in Dublin. College. So I was only 18, very kind of, you know, only clueless. A slip of a girl coming slip over. Slip of a girl, yeah? just a kid, really. I had, um, my parents moved to Switzerland when I was 16. So I'm born in Stockholm, lived in Stockholm my whole life. When yeah. um, I was 16, my dad's job moved him to Switzerland. <coughs> so I lived in Zurich for two years and I went to an English speaking school there. Mm -hmm. So I, my dad's American, so I grew up speaking both languages, but Swedish, obviously, my stronger language, this, that, the other. Um, I wanted to study in English because when I had done, you know, the last two years of high school in English, like it was difficult in the beginning, just like it's one thing I was fluent in speaking, but then read a book and write an essay. I was like, huh? So, um, so once I'd kind of gotten through all that, I wanted to continue to study in English. So I applied to go to college in the UK and in Ireland. I didn't bother with America because it was too kind of awkward. It's too far away. Yes, it's just too American. <laughs> so, so I had been, my best friend in Sweden, their family had a summer house in West Cork. So I had spent two summers in West Cork just by Baltimore and we loved it. Like we yeah. were at 16 and 17. It was great. We got served in the pub. Like they were, uh, it was just so much fun. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll go to Ireland. That's, you know, something different. So I applied to all the colleges and this is, you know, why you shouldn't let 17 year olds make decisions like these. I'd never been to Cork City, but I was like, yeah, West Cork was like so much fun. So obviously and the rest of us were all UCC. like that. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> off I went and totally clueless. Now, look, it was absolutely fine, obviously. But um, yeah, you know, you arrive in a place and you're like, oh, right. OK. Oh, that's well, a lot yeah. different from what I expected. You know, and the other thing is the language barrier in Cork because they don't speak English like normal people down there at all. But that's <laughs> it. When we first came, so my sister then had studied in university in Sweden, didn't like her course. So, you know, she kind of, she started, so we started first year at the same time. There's two years between us. And so we came over together and, you know, again, we thought we had, you know, good level of English, having grown up bilingually and stuff. But we were still like... What? Jesus, one of these people. Yeah, are. like in the beginning, we were like, are they mixing English and Irish? And yeah. then, no, no. And after a while, you're like, oh, no, it's just the accent. But, <laughs> um, and then, of course, now people say, oh, I thought I heard a cork twang. And I'm like, oh, God, I sound like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Run away. Um, but yeah, so we arrived in 1999. <clears throat> and I lived in Cork for five years altogether. I was in college for four years. And mm. then I worked for one year. And then I moved up to Dublin in 2004. So, yeah, I mean, Cork in 1999, it was, like, it was very different. So I had yeah. lived in Zurich for two years, and Zurich, like, Zurich makes Sweden seem like, you know, this really messy and organised place. You can imagine what it was like then going from Zurich to Cork. Ridiculously clean in <laughs> yes. Zurich, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you can God. have your dinner up the street, no bother, like... <laughs> So, you wouldn't um, do that in Cork, would you? No. <laughs> and I mean, even, uh, you know, it was just very different to trying to find a... Com I mean, college accommodation, obviously, is notoriously, like, manky, but it yeah. used to, you know, the standards were so different, and you were a little bit like, oh, my God. But I, I suppose it's like anything else. You know, you get into it eventually, and, of course, you're in college. It's, you know, you're meeting all these friends, and you're having oh, so much fun. And mm. so, so it was, like, very kind of brilliant time like very you know period that I would look back on really really fondly but I suppose then after a while I was like okay you know Cork is still a it's a lovely place but it's a great place to go to college it's big enough to be fun yeah but it's small enough to feel safe and there's a real sense of like the college kind of community you get around and that kind of exactly. thing exactly yeah? yeah. but then after a while you know it gets a bit boring so I moved up to Dublin then and I suppose I never kind of thought you know I'm here for life now I was always kind of like oh, I'll do another year another year another year 
and then the years just, you know, well, you, accumulated. You've, so you've actually lived more than half your life yeah. in Ireland at this yeah. age, right? Yeah. But when you come up to Dublin then, because you were kind of a sort of a very international person with your father working in Zurich and you'd, you know, you'd been to school in English now. So when you came over here, how much of your Swedishness, in inverted commas, did you sort of retain? Yeah. You know, did, did you have this idea of, okay, when December comes around, it's Lucibola, it's Adventsvika, yeah, it's Yulkalenda, there's all those things. Mm -hmm. Or did you just go, ah, screw it, I'm going to drink Beamish? Um, I think a bit of both. I don't like stouts. So I wasn't going to drink Beamish. Nobody likes but, um, Beamish. <laughs> I, think, um, I think a bit of both. Like, I was probably, you know, I always get very, Lucia is actually my favourite thing in the whole world. Yeah. Like, it's the one thing I always get so homesick. I'm watching YouTube and I'm like crying. Oh, God, yeah. it's all so beautiful. Like, they used to have, obviously, before the pandemic, the Swedish or the German church here on Adelaide Road, yeah. they'd have a Swedish, usually um, Gustav Adolf's. Um, no, on the Fredericks, Musi Klasse would come and sing, which okay. is great. Yeah. I don't know how they managed to score that, but they come and like you know you're sitting there and you're like trying not to cry because it's so moving. It's just so wonderful, and I, it, I get very homesick around them. But apart from that, probably not really. I guess I mean yeah, I think around Christmas, yes, you would make the effort to kind of try to make you know gingerbread cookies, whatever. Yeah. Um, I he, think, he said that really like you were ashamed of it. Yeah. <laughs> wrong with that, you know. <laughs> I think. To be honest, I think it was probably becoming less and less. But then once I had a child, obviously that changes a lot because yeah. suddenly, so my son is three and a half and suddenly you're you know, kind of acutely aware of the things that you really want him to you know, take part of, like, yeah. you have certain things, like, you know, volleyball, you know, you don't really care about that, but, yeah. you know, you're, ba you know, this Christmas, I was basically, like, shoving Lucibola down his throat, because I'd gone through the hassle of finding yeah. saffron. You'll find me later! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you will eat these, and you will like them. No, but that kind of stuff, and I think, you know, uh, again, speaking only Swedish to him, reading to him in mm. Swedish, um, talking about Sweden, even, and explaining that there is Sweden, and, you know, all this, yeah. and that, you know, Daddy's from Cork and, you know, Mama is from Sweden and, you know, Stockholm and this and that. And we went to Stockholm and he thought that was great fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's three, like, he's going to think everything is great fun. But um, <laughs> it's, I think, I mean, you do retain some things, definitely, I think, maybe more... Um, I think at work they laugh at me sometimes because I'm very much like, you know, oh, but you know, the deadline is coming up and they're like, it's okay, we can ask them for an extension. I'm like, no, we must adhere to the deadline. Like, Do you want to know a secret? I was two minutes early and I was afraid to knock oh. on you and go, oh, yes, you couldn't be doing that. Like, nine o'clock is nine o'clock. You know, if you're early, you're, that's not going out. Either. You know, and I think some things, some things you kind of learn to drop. Like, you know, in the beginning people say, oh, we meet at eight o'clock and then nobody shows up until nine, you know, and you're the only idiot there at eight. Uh, you know, but you learn very quickly, okay, nobody actually shows up till nine. And that kind of suits me in a way because I am chronically late um, anyway. Um, but that's, that must be liberating for you then, isn't in it? In a way, I suppose. And I think because I was so young when I left Sweden as well, a lot of t times I kind of think, oh God, like, is this, am I like making up that this is Swedish or is it Swedish? And oh, you're like, not. No, it is Swedish, you know. <laughs> But in the community here then, because I know there is a, like a, a large <clears throat> or large-ish community of Swedish people here. Mm. They do have their Facebook groups and, and that kind of thing. What are the sort of, you know, do you do you meet up with them on Midsummer or Volborg or these kind of things? Um, so my sister lives here as well and she would be a lot more kind of involved in that. But again, she has a, um, well, she's two girls now, but her oldest girl is nine. So she would have been much more kind of active when her little yeah, one yeah. was, well, when her oldest girl was smaller to meet up and so, you know, they, they could be around other Swedish baking kids and stuff. And yeah. we have, we went down to Wicklow. Again, this is all pre-pandemic because I suppose everything changed so much with the pandemic, but went down to Wicklow. They have, they organise like a midsummer celebration, which is really nice. And, you know, you get to meet all these different Swedes. 
which actually is lovely. Like when I first came to Dublin, I had a Swedish friend here. Did I have any other Swedish friends? No, I would have had a lot of other foreign friends, maybe not Swedish yeah. necessarily, but I would probably always have had about 50-50. Like my mm. closest friends would have been an American girl or um, a German girl, you know, that kind of thing. But then I suppose slowly, slowly, you know, also because people move away and, and this, that and the other. So I think now, you know, my closest group of friends would all be Irish. But yeah. then you say, God, I'm here over 20 years. It would nearly be weird if it wasn't. It's hardly a surprise kind of Exactly, thing, yeah? exactly. But I do think, again, since my son was born, I'm probably a lot more conscious of trying to meet up with Swedish people. Mm. I would probably have done more if it wasn't, again, for the pandemic. Of course, yeah. Because I would probably take more interest in like meetups and they have meetups, you know, where you can bring your kid and speak Swedish. I went to one with my sister again when my son was just very small. I mean, he didn't talk at all. But it was more we went with them. Um, it was over in Imma. They had it. It was called Språka på svenska. So I don't know. It was some initiative. I don't know. But it was lovely anyway. There were a few Swedes there. And then it's funny because you know, Swedes can be a bit shy in the beginning. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and like I talk to the wall. So I'm a bit like, blah, blah, blah. but um, it's just really lovely to meet Swedish people. And I yeah. think it's very nice as well just to get people's takes on things, you know. Of like course, some yeah. people go mad that like, oh, there's no like, Ustivel, you know, the cheese yeah, yeah. thingy. And I'm a bit like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the thing. I was going to ask you as well about things like foods and that kind of thing. I know mm. IKEA is open now on the north mm. side of the city out towards Bali Moon there. So do you, did you ever have sort of a hankering for things that you couldn't get, like, you know, Sue Slumming and August or that kind of well, thing? No, not Sue No, of God. I had it <laughs> once in college. We actually had an, um, a Swedish girl that we made friends with in college and she was from, I don't know, like the north and just keep going way up north like, Sweden, yeah, yeah. like way up like you know yeah. polar circle north and her mom sent sushi drumming oh my god jesus that's horrific smell of it unbelievable horrific for, the, for those who are not aware of it we're speaking directly into the phone now it's fermented mm. herring that's yeah. buried and then taken out it's put in a can and it basically smells like human crap it's, and uh, it worse yeah and i, I couldn't um uh, I've never actually been able to bring myself to taste it, you know? It's horrific. But that's not the sort of thing that you miss. You know, do no, you miss I don't meatballs miss meatballs or lingam jam no, or... I do and I miss, I think, I don't, like I'm vegetarian, so the meatballs are a bit of, you know, wasted yeah. on me, which is a shame. But I do miss like a lot of the pastries and stuff. And yeah, I think yeah. Ikea, when it first opened, oh my God, I was nearly crying with the joy. Like I was there <laughs> like once a week. I used to drive regularly up to Belfast before that. Did even, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even if it was like, oh, I need like, I don't know, a lamp. Like there's plenty yeah. of other shops Some you can bulbs. buy a lamp. Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, I better go to Belfast. That's like ridiculous stuff, right? But wow. it was even just to be there, you know, because yeah. it felt... It, it was such a like home away from home type of thing. But then at one stage they started, they changed. So it's only like Ikea branded stuff generally. Now they do have like Cloetta Kex Kukla, I think. And they yeah. have Marabo. Yeah. But the rest of it is all like, and they have Bilar, thank God. The yeah, yeah. Cars. all against Bilar, yeah. But the rest is all like Ikea branded. So you can't get licorice, salt lockers, which okay, is mine. Yeah, yeah. Because before you could get like proper licks of salt, the blanda, whatever. Yeah. You can't get that now. I think that's probably the thing I miss the most is lockers. When I go yeah. home to Sweden, I'm a bit like just... Give me all the I've said it a few times in this podcast. I know girls who play football in England. Oh, and, yeah. and if you're going over to interview them, they go, okay, don't turn up unless you have salt yeah. lockets, yeah. which I don't turn up. And I hate it. It's just one of those things that, like, I don't know, it doesn't suit the Irish palate, really, no, you know? It doesn't. Actually, Zach, I was telling you before we started recording with Zach Elbazadi, yeah. he went down to the shop in Sweden, you know, before his first game of football, because oh. the only sweets he eats is a handful of jellies or something before he goes and plays football. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he went and he bought salt lockets. He had no oh, idea gosh. what it was, and he just spat the whole lot yeah. out. But that's one of those things that you miss. Yeah. And, you, and there's nowhere you can get your hands on it here no like so there's a shop called lots and co and they've opened they have a shop down by um um down by kind of beggar's bush yeah and then they've just opened another shop up in town and they very randomly stock swedish food 
I don't know why. I don't know what the connection is, but, you know, I'm very glad for it. So they have Same random stuff. You can buy, like, uh, pan sucker, like the little okay, curry yeah. sugar thing. You can buy, like, loads of crisps, all the um, uh, Ustboga. Estella stuff and that kind exactly, of thing. Exactly, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Dip, you know, powder yeah. dip. You can buy falukolb, okay. which I hadn't eaten, I'd say, since I was a child. So I bought that. And, of course, my son, he didn't like it. He doesn't like anything. But... Uh, <laughs> You'll thank me later exactly again. Exactly you, know? <laughs> you will eat this. Um, which is actually really lovely because it's the kind of stuff. And they, did they have... They did have some type of licorice... I can't remember. I was only there. I haven't been there for a while, but um, they have. They seem to vary a lot what they get in. They get must and stuff like that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's really nice because I guess it's not a big enough community that there would be like a Swedish shop. Yeah. And then I think Swedes abroad tend to be quite like, uh, you know, under the surface a bit. You yeah. know, they're not as kind of you know, maybe as united as, I don't know, the Brazilian community or the yeah. Lithuanian community or, or the whatever. Irish in Sweden, for that matter. There's pubs everywhere. Exactly, and, you know, exactly. And the yeah. Swedes would be a little bit more like, oh, no, that's okay, don't yeah. mind me. Oh, we'll be know. okay. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's Please don't pay attention to us exactly, at all. Yeah. basically. So it's actually really nice that, you know, there is a place you can go and buy stuff like that. I mean, I do, I think what I miss the most are like the pastries. And like I said, even Ikea, they used to have, you could buy in the, uh, where you eat the food, you could buy the damsugere, you know, yeah, but then they shrunk them by like 50%. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they're just not as, I know I still eat them, mind you, but like they're not as nice. But when you go home, yeah. oh God, it's just so nice. I eat that and uh, like chocolate biscuit, you know, the yeah, chocolate biscuit. Um, it's all the sweet stuff, basically. Then. The sweet stuff, semlet, oh my God, which is around this time. I haven't been home around yeah. this time of year in a long time. They're these big they're... cream buns, but they ruin it with all that almond paste. Ah, stop, they're delicious. Oh, Jesus, that's the best awful. bit. Take, the take best that out and I eat them, you know? <laughs> But it's funny because that's one thing that Irish people generally hate marzipan and yeah. then the licorice. I remember once I'd been home, I was working in a pub up in, um, I was studying my first year in Dublin and I was working in a pub up in Ratmines and I brought some Swedish candy with me back, you know, from yeah. Sweden to share with my colleagues. And, you know, we had it behind the bar and like it was, I don't know, chocolate or something. And then a thing of licorice. And it was so funny. People would be like, Pugh! and they'd be like, what the hell is this? I tried to poison us. And one guy, he took it and he, I could see he was like, the hell is this and he was trying to chew it and then he was like oh no i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry and he was like i hope i didn't like insult your family now and I was like, no if you don't like it that's <laughs> you don't like fine. it you don't like it that's you it, don't yeah. like it i guess it's a really acquired taste but um i think that's what i miss i miss like proper pick and mix as well yeah yeah you um, just go and take a shovel full of sweets from different things yeah like i mean they have pick and mix here but it's kind of not the same and you miss no. like the little you know peps and the little well there's these things that have been around for a hundred years and they're just part of your childhood and you exactly. can they're hardwired yeah. into your brain yeah but how do you keep in touch then with what happens in Sweden? Do you pay any attention? It's an election year in Sweden now, yeah. for instance. Uh, we had like four Russian planes that came into Sweden, Swedish airspace. Do you pay attention to SVT or Sveriges Audio? Do they do anything for Swedes abroad? They, um, that I don't know. I do, I'm very cheap. I like once, I used to always like read the papers, but once then they were saying, no, you know, you had to pay for all of them. I was like, no, I won't pay because yeah. I'm already paying for it. Like, Irish Times, the New York Times, whatever. Yeah, TV license, all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was saying, oh no, um, like my mom now, I use her login and that's okay. <laughs> Nobody from Afterblood listens to exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> no, no shame in that. So I read like Doggins New Hete. I guess during the pandemic, I was reading a lot, but then I kind of didn't want to read anymore because I just found it all baffling. Yeah. Um, I do try to keep in touch with just the general stuff again like i follow actually on facebook i follow like svt or something like that yeah 
Um, I, I follow, uh, also I'm a member of some group called um, Smul, Svenska som modersmål utomlands, Swedish okay, as yeah. mother tongue abroad, and they would post sometimes stuff, yeah. like news and things, and I'm also part of something called Swedes in the World, but they have been posting, with the last few days, which has made me very kind of suspicious, they've been posting like, oh, you know, it's an election year this year, come and meet, you know, four Swedes abroad, come and meet your representative from Moderaterna, so yeah. the Conservatives, um, Senten, the centre party yeah. and uh, Folkpartiet or whatever they're the called liberals, now, yeah. the Liberals. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit like, okay, waiting for the other parties and like, I'm still waiting. So I, I don't know. Up like, yeah. No, I don't know if they're like ignoring the Swedes yeah. abroad or if this particular people only invited those parties. I yeah. don't know. But um, I do know, was it, it wasn't the last, oh no, I think the last two, no, the last EU election and then the last election before that, like the state election mm. or national election, I, because I'm registered obviously to vote abroad and stuff. Yeah. And I got a load of, you know, oh, hey, you know, check this out from, again, Moderatina, the Conservatives. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of saying, that's really weird that they target Swedes abroad. Is it because they tend to vote Conservatively, well, I think they assume that they have so. good jobs and would be liable to vote for them yeah, kind of thing. Well, yeah, but it's one of those things that we as Irish people abroad, we don't have the same voting rights that you no, do. So I haven't crazy. been able to vote here since yeah. like the 90s. Well, that is a subject that will be recurring on this podcast, yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> Could I just ask you, Vanessa, because you're obviously, you're grown up here, your son has grown up here, he's three and a half years old. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, your engagement in the Swedish community kind of shot up a little bit when he was born, you know. Yeah. Can you ever see yourself living in Sweden again, can you see that poor man that from Cork losing here, you know, that, would he ever consider living there? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, definitely. And then other times, like, I think because you've been, I've built a life here, obviously, you know, yeah. I'm very, I've, I've lived here for a long time. I'm very, you know, despite the many, many shortcomings of this country, <laughs> I'm still very fond of it, obviously, yeah. you know, and like, it would be difficult to move. But at the same time, Sweden is still home. Yeah. So you get kind of very conflicted. And it's the kind of thing where you, you know, you're kind of like, oh God, I don't even know what to do with it. I'd love to live maybe for like a year or two at home. I think that would be really yeah. fun to see what it's like. Um, but then, you know, things have changed so much. So it's hard to know, do you have this like romantic idea? I mean, when I left Sweden in 1997, mm. like that was a long time ago. And yeah. I mean, even like things happen. So, you know, things change and you're like, why did nobody ask me? Yeah. And, like, I came home one year and all the pharmacies were privatized. I was like, all right, OK. I came home another year, all the schools were privatized. And yeah. you're like, right, that's very weird. And, and it happened very quickly, you know. Quickly yeah. and very strange. And you're still kind of trying to get your head around that. Yeah. Um, so I get asked that question. Oh, would you ever move back to Dublin? Yeah, yeah, if I had a time machine, I would. I'd move back to Dublin in 1993. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I had no responsibilities and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and that was it. But that's... But you can't do that. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, that's the thing. But then I think it would be really good. Like, it would be exciting. I think, like, for my son, it would be really good for his Swedish. It, yeah. You know, might be like I lived when I was a child. I lived in London for a year, and then obviously moving away when I was sixteen. Like, I found those experiences really exciting. Yeah. I mean, of course, when you're sixteen, you're like, oh my God, all my friends, and like, eh. yeah. But you know, you get over it, like, and then you actually enjoy the new thing. You yeah. know, it's like you get that kick up the backside, and um, it's you know, it's an exciting experience. It would be a fun thing to to show my son yeah and then you also you think now like i should probably have done it two years ago so i would have had to pay the ex you know the ridiculous crash fees here like oh, that just mad. make you cry when you hear what people at home pay 
Um, my friend, she her little girl is six now, but she used to pay like seven hundred kroner uh, for her a month. Yeah, for that's her. about right. Yeah, and uh, we were paying. First of all, we couldn't get a crash place, so we had to get a childminder, which I know is ridiculous for just one child. But we like was either that or give up work. <laughs> and for the childminder, we paid like nearly seventeen hundred a month. Holy now, smokes! In fairness, like that's her full time job, and like she needs to be paid over yeah. minimum wage. She you know and it's all this. It's not her fault. Like, exactly, yeah. it's not her fault that the system is messed up. And um, then obviously. Obviously, when she, we finally got a crash place after a year and a bit on li- on like all the waiting lists, so we now pay about nine hundred euros a month, which you feel like oh, it's like a bargain. Oh, a bargain! <laughs> I've all this like money to spend. But were you never crazy. tempted in that case to do something that has happened to so many of the men listening to this podcast, right? Where you meet a Swedish girl in Dublin or in Glasgow or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, when the time comes, that you start considering having children. Go, okay, let's go back to Sweden. Yeah, Did you ever consider that? Um, I did. If that's not too personal, didn't. the question. No, yeah. no, 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 no. No, like my partner, he's very like he's a plumber, so he's a bit like, look, you know, the work is the work. And water like, is water, yeah. Basically, yeah. yeah. And uh, we're you know, shit is shit, like. <laughs> <laughs> But um, he, I mean, he would have, you know, he was a bit like me. He would think that that was exciting. Yeah. And like being from Cork, he'd prefer to like move abroad than to live in Dublin. You know, Look, because... we all want to get as far from Cork as possible <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> he was kind of saying, would we not move to Australia? And I was like, you don't want to move to Dublin, but you move to Australia. <laughs> but um, no, he like probably would would have considered going. I think one of the kind of things when I did get pregnant and, you know, you kind of say, oh God, I'm a kid and all this. Was it was a bit like well you know again I was working here I loved my job that I had at the time mm. and you know I was still I was trying to finish my PhD at the time as well so I didn't want to you know move in the middle of like, all yeah. that but then as well you're saying oh you know you can get maternity because uh, that's what my sister did she actually went home and had her first child at home. Mm. I lived in Sweden for like the year and a bit and you know because obviously you've been paying tax here and you know that's valid in Sweden so mm. you're still entitled to maternity leave and everything or parental leave um, and obviously it's a lot better the parental leave is a lot longer you don't have all the hoo-ha with crashes and stuff but I don't know I suppose you know again you just feel very settled here and I think one of the big things is accommodation where would you go yeah it's not that you can go on to Daft and look in yeah. Sweden now you can do it here and you still won't be able to find accommodation because it's too expensive yeah. but in Sweden it's just so much more complicated somehow in, in Stockholm which would be where I would go and then it's difficult as well because because I've been gone for so long like I still have kind of a few like childhood friends you yeah. know that you've known since you were like yay hi but you know I don't know would I have felt isolated because most of my family don't actually live in Sweden like my yeah. my dad's American so half my family are in the US then my sister's here my other sister is in Paris yeah. and my aunt is in Italy yeah so you're a bit, you know, you don't have any, it's not like I have, you know, cousins or anything like that in Sweden or anything. So it's just my grandparents, really. My parents were living in Switzerland for a very long time. So, um, But they still have salt lockets, regardless of who in the family well, that's is there. <laughs> that's kind of, that's on the plus side. But um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, it was probably toying with the idea, but probably never seriously. Mm. Um you know, maybe in retrospect, you say it probably would have been better to do that and then come back here after a few years. But yeah. of course, look, then the pandemic happened and you're not kind of really thinking that way. And he'd actually gotten a crash place at that stage. So um, which was obviously useless. Because so you're not leaving until he's 21 now. Well, you still think, like I said, it would, you know, maybe would it be nice for him to do a year in school in Sweden? It's not like he would do 
Mm. You know, it wouldn't do his education any damage or anything. Yeah. Or do two years and he'd be extended from having to learn Irish. That could be a good thing. That's, that's very sneaky altogether. No. <laughs> um, or, you know, you might say, look, you know, if he's Swedish, is, if I still make sure that, you know, you go to Sweden every summer, that he gets this immersion into the language. Mm. You know, maybe he wants to go to college in Sweden. Like, I don't know. You know, you just want to make sure that you leave all the doors, like, open for him. Mm. But, yeah, I think, like, if you're going to go back, like, now is probably the right time in terms of the child being young. So, yeah. yeah, actually, what am I doing here? <laughs> but, but I guess there's other things that hold you to a place, you know. Th- that was my final question to you was going to be, aside from your partner, aside from yourself, what is it that keeps you in Ireland? What's your favourite thing about the place? Oh, God. I don't know. I suppose it's just... I mean, even though technically things aren't easier here because everything is a bit of a struggle, um, you know, things feel kind of... You, it's easy to meet people. It's easy to, um, you know, it's easy to make contacts. People, um, people are very friendly. People are very open. I know some Swedish people say, "Oh, well, Irish people are very friendly," but then they're very difficult to get to know, like personally. And that's true. Mm. But like, so are Swedes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, first you have this kind of maybe a little bit more superficial, but then eventually you do get to know people. Mm. Um, and I think people are very caring, and there is a nice kind of sense. Of kind of maybe looking out for each other I don't know like I mean I volunteer here with an old lady which I don't think I would ever have done in Sweden you know mm. whereas here like most of my friends volunteer with something another friend she volunteers in the rape crisis center like to man the phone another friend volunteers in childlike like you know and these aren't like you know goody two-shoes by any means you know it's just yeah. something people do and it's not necessarily something people advertise you know it's just like stuff that you do without thinking you just fall into it kind of yeah, thing, yeah exactly and I think um I actually don't really know I part of it also is that you've been here for so long and you feel like you've invested time you built up um mm. you built up a life here and you know great you know friends of course your social life changes dramatically when you have a child mm. but you know before that you know great social life great um you know great to go out, you know, meet yeah. a lot of people that way, you know, a lot of, probably too much fun. Um, I was studying for a long time as well, so that kind of kept me here also. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably it, really. What keeps you here is just, like, the life, the people, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you often wonder how much the tree knows about its roots because, you know, they're the things that sort of set themselves first before yeah. anything is seen above ground, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. Well, with any luck, you'll be still here in a couple of years' time when I come back and you'll still have the kettle on. Vanessa, thanks very much yeah. for talking to me. No, thanks, thanks, million thanks. It's always a particular pleasure to come back to a city that you love, that you've been to before, where you have friends, where you know your way around, especially when that city's Dublin, especially when it's a place that makes the finest single alcoholic beverage on earth. And I get to stay in the same swinging hotel I always stay in. They're owned by some band. Uh, I forget the name of the band, but the lead singer's name is like Boner or something. Bone, Sonny Bono or Boner or forget. So there you go. That's Vanessa and that's Anton. And we have a one last voice that we're going to bring you on this week's episode of the podcast. Because uh, they were two people who've moved here from Sweden. But I'm sure a lot of us will recognise who've had children abroad that it's um, a sort of a different dynamic when you're born into a place. So I'm just about to meet the writer Callie Ryan uh, to see what it was like for him. Um, living in a Swedish-Irish family. I've grown up in a Swedish-Irish family here in Dublin as the seagulls look to steal somebody's breakfast bap on Exchequer Street. Caleb, 
the two people we spoke to previously on this podcast uh, have been Swedes who have moved to Ireland. But yeah. you grew up here. So what was it like growing up in Ireland as a Calle rather than a Cahill or a Charlie? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an interesting journey. As you can imagine, I grew up in Waterford and Calais is not the easiest name for people to get their head around. Even you know? in Waterford? Even in Waterford. It was like, uh, well, Calboy or well, Calar Cozengas. So I got a few variations on a theme there. But I stuck with it because, I mean, obviously I'm Chris and Carl, like every good Swede who, yeah. who's called Calais. But um, uh, just it was one of those things where I, I felt really strongly about my Swedish identity and grew up with a very Swedish house. When I think back on it, our house was extremely Swedish and was probably a weird oasis for people in Waterford who I knew, you know. But yeah, so growing up as sort of a half Swede in Ireland was unique because it was kind of exotic back then as well. Yeah. People didn't know what Sweden was or uh, where, where it, it was. It's also very obvious, right? Because if you're a Swedish girl and your name is Maria, yeah. there's not that same thing as being Kalle. Okay, hang on a second. Yeah. This guy is. There's a story here that we yeah, need to yeah, find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were people very intrusive? Were they about, okay, tell us about yourself now. Not really, because I suppose maybe, like anyone, they're just probably more obsessed with themselves. But uh, <laughs> I think... Uh, it, do you know where it comes up still, and it's really interesting, is... Like, obviously, my, my, my passport name is Carl, and so any kind of government dealings or any jobs I've ever had, I've had to go down as Carl. But then, like, I always have to make the decision, do I say within a few days, actually, I'm Carl or do I stick with Carl? So it's actually become a brilliant thing for me if I'm walking down the street and I hear someone say, hey Carl, I go, that's somebody I work with rather than somebody <laughs> I know. So it's, it's a good, not that I, I actually really like some of the people I work with, but it's an interesting one. So I always joke about it saying, one is my Batman name and one is my one is my uh, actual Bruce Wayne name, you know? That's brilliant, but they play the first card for you. you yeah, know? yeah, okay, yeah, I got great, one over got them, it. You know? yeah. um, how was it? Because like obviously you would have grown up, as you said, your house would have been an oasis for people because yeah. the values that your mother, who was Swedish, would yes. have had would be very different, I would assume, yes. to the former sort of holy Catholic island of the one where time. you grew up in. Big time, and also, like, so she was a sort of a lapsed Lutheran and very lefty, grew, like, spent time in a commune, that kind of, kind of extreme Swedish right-on leftiness. Yeah. Uh, and met, and then, like, my dad was also uh, an arty guy, he was a painter. So, like, our household was a place where art was alive, where social justice was alive, where, like, thinking about community was alive, and then even, like, sort of bizarre details that were extremely Swedish like we would bring Ikea furniture back in our car like we'd go on a ferry to Sweden every summer and we'd bring back Ikea furniture so arguably we were the first family in Ireland to have Ikea furniture in there and so the house looked different it had that European kind of look to it and also then just Swedish values were about sort of like from uh, certainly from my mum's perspective were like you need to think about the the person who has less than you how can you help them and so she was very active in the women's movement and and and, and then my father was very active in the community with theatre and art and that kind of stuff so it was, it was interesting values how did that work for people in Waterford because you know people outside of oh, well, not even people in Dublin right they would have been very relatively conservative people yeah. went to mass on a yeah. Sunday that kind of thing. would your mother and father have been seen as sort of outsiders in the town or were they accepted by the people there it's an interesting question because it's probably not something I, I kind of reflected on at the time mm. but I have reflected now and I think they were probably seen as exotic and interesting and unusual at the time but by the same token because they were so active in the community I think there was a sense of like well these people are doers these yeah. people are involved and like my dad formed a, a theatre company with a bunch of folks called Red Kettle which was pretty successful for a while and my mum was very involved with like set up some, some women's federations and started celebrating International Women's Day so I think there was probably a sense of like who, who are those folks and I remember one guy saying like I remember going to your house and going I'd 
never actually been to a house where I saw art on a wall before. Yeah. So I think that conservatism and stuff like probably faded away because probably the likes of the people that we were hanging around with were other artists or other, you know, people who were out there doing sort of social work, you know? Did you ever feel though that, you know, the other kids in the area you grew up in went, oh, you know, your man's parents are the Swedish hippie? And yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. I think, yes, probably. I think it's probably inevitable that they, were, they didn't say it to me. Uh, but yeah, I think there was probably a little bit of that. And also, I think I wasn't, I, I did realise at one point, like, my experience is completely unlike these other people's experience. You know, like, they were like, well, I have to go to Mass. And I was like, why do you have to go to Mass? Yeah. Like, I couldn't understand that. And, and I was like, and, and do you like it? And they're like, I hate it. And I was like, really? Well, then why are you going? And they're like, well, because I have to go to Mass. And yeah. I, the sort of the circular thing. And so I think when they saw us, like, going off on a holiday to Sweden or going and doing sort of uh, community work, they, they probably thought we were mad, yeah. you know? They probably didn't see it at all. How did your mother's Swedishness manifest itself, apart from the art on yeah. the walls and the furniture? Did, yeah. Was she one for, you know, midsummer for Seal, yeah. all those things? Yeah, so I think my parents made a very conscious decision early on that we would try and remain connected in some capacity to Sweden. And Sweden would have to be kind of a part of my fabric of who I am and it still is like I still celebrate Swedish Christmas and that's thanks to my mum like we would have a very distinct like we would always do Yulafton and make shatbullar uh, meatballs and do the whole Yulbord and then Easter was a big deal as well even though like which is ironic right these are big religious holidays but I suppose they're sort of a part of the Swedish fabric as well and so that was a big part of it and then I think even just things like Swedish food was a thing like she had Swedish cookbooks and stuff and we would make sort of distinctly Swedish meals as yeah. well at home and the one thing that I'm so grateful to her for is we decided that dinner time was always Swedish time yeah. so we always spoke Swedish at the dinner table and even my dad uh, who you know tried to learn Swedish in his 30s and succeeded in fairness to him uh, would speak Swedish and that was a kind of way of having the family communal thing but also keeping the Swedish language and, and culture alive in the house as well. The further we go as Irish people from Ireland the more Irish we become yeah. and the older we get the more Irish we become did, did you find it as you progress sort of like as a child, you'll accept that. You go, OK, yeah. we speak Swedish at the dinner table. That's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. When you came into your teenage years, you know, this search for identity and that, yeah. did you start to look, you know, northeast and go, OK, who yeah. am I really? Yeah. It's been an interesting one and a journey for my whole life, if I'm honest. I think, ostensibly, I'm Irish. Like, I, I, I probably, like... When it comes down to it, if Ireland are playing Sweden in a football game, I have to kind of support Ireland just probably because I was born here. That said, it's great support in Sweden because they generally make it to the World Cup, you know? <laughs> I like these and, fucking losers yeah, over yeah. here. <laughs> and I love the Irish football team, but they're not great. And uh, but and then, of course, you have the joy of having someone like Zlatan, you know, to yeah. follow. But, uh, yeah, there's been a search for that identity, and I would have spent time in Sweden. I studied a bit uh, in Europe and spent some time in Sweden working there as well. So... I think it's always been a part of me and it's something that I try and hold on to and when I had kids I made a very discernible effort to teach them Swedish as well but it was just so difficult because I was kind of an island you know yeah. Swedish is not a language that's spoken anywhere else really I mean Finland and a couple of spots but yeah. ultimately it was just too hard for me with young kids trying to keep the Swedish going so I kept it alive with tradition instead yeah. instead of language so doing know? those you laughed on yeah. and this kind yeah, of thing yeah you laughed on and and and, and 
buying and going to going to IKEA actually now that it's finally here <laughs> and, and buying all greens bilar and shetbular and all those good things as well and telling them this is part of what I grew up with. But you're right, in my teenage years there was probably a little bit of that, but probably more so I was looking at the becoming an artist and I don't think I was looking at nationality as the definition. It was probably more about like what do I want to do with my with yeah. my life and writing was the thing. Now Swedish writing ended up being a big part of what I did. I wrote my uh, college thesis on Jonas Gardell, the Swedish okay, author. The Swedish and I loved, I loved his work. And, and there's a piece called Encomikers Upvext, which yeah. was like an astonishing, you probably know it. Yeah. Uh, it's an astonishing book and it still sticks with me. And, and so I was still very much holding on to that Swedish identity through those kind of cultural avenues as well, I think, you know? I mean, we always sort of try to draw, par draw parallels between our own experience as Irish people abroad and your experience as a, you know, a person yeah. of a different heritage here. And you're kind of reminded of, you know, uh, seeing newspapers in London. Like, if you go to King's Cross Station, you'll find the yeah. Irish Independent there. That, yeah. Do you sort of seek out news from Sweden, commentary from Sweden, culture from Sweden in yeah. the same way? Yeah, I mean, probably not as much as I did. It's interesting when you talk about sort of, like, I never divided it into sort of timelines. There was probably a time when I lived in America where I probably sought it out a bit as well, just trying to understand what was going on in Sweden, because the sort of the Irish presence was big there and I had Irish pals. But yeah, I think the one thing that's been really helpful and really interesting since uh, having children of my own is the access to media that's that's there like even being able to show them like say a Disney film but it's got the Swedish language track yeah. on it or things like that that just simply weren't there I remember my dad like going some convoluted route trying to get a satellite dish so we could get TV of Tucson or whatever it was yeah. back in the day and that just was too complicated and now it's the click of a button so yeah I do seek it out and I will read some Swedish newspapers but but arguably uh, I've probably faded a bit from that as well you know who are you when you step off the plane in Orlando? Aha. Uh -huh. So I'm probably. So I think I'm. You've stumped me there, Phil. I think I'm probably the Irish guy who speaks Swedish, you know, uh, to the external viewer. To me, I'm home, really, because this is a place that I've spent a huge percentage of my life, every summer of my life, until the age of 18 or 19. Um, and. Yeah, there's something very welcoming about Sweden. It's infuriating and, and beautiful at the same time, just like Ireland, you know? Yeah. And so I think when I step off the plane in Orlando, although invariably we used to step off a boat, we used to go crazy town and drive cars across England and get on a ferry. But it was the Harris to Gothenburg. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we did the Harris to Gothenburg and I'd stay with my cousins in Gothenburg. Um, but I think probably the fact that I have family there probably makes it that more like I'm home, yeah. you know? Um, but that said, I embarrassingly, I mean, there's been a pandemic in between, of course, but I haven't been to Sweden in maybe five or six years now. Yeah. You know, I, I, the Sweden I knew has probably changed quite a lot. I suppose with small children, that's not easy to just no, pack them not. on a car and go do that thing. No, you know? no, no. And I think I probably would avoid the car and the ferry these days. Jesus, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if it's possible anymore. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Well, I was uh, with one of my daughters yesterday, and she's like 15 years old, and she was saying to me, I'd love to have friends in Ireland. Do you still have people in, in Sweden you can call up yeah. and go, hey, I'm coming in two weeks, let's go. Oh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And actually, one of the interesting byproducts of having you in a nationality is anytime I would study somewhere or go and live somewhere, I could connect with a community from Ireland and I could connect with a community from Sweden. So yeah. I've met Swedes when I did my Erasmus year, for example, in college, and I'm still in contact with those people. Or when I lived in New York, I had 
Swedes who I knew there and I'd be still in touch with them. So yeah, and some of them would have moved back to Sweden or indeed some of them have started families with Swedes and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a gang of people like obviously my, my actual family in, in Gothenburg, but then I have also friends in Malmö and um, and even in Stockholm as well and, yeah. and Westeros. Like, so I have contacts and I do still feel like it's a place I can go and there's people I know and there's people I love over there, yeah. When you look around here at the, the Swedish-Irish community that's here in Dublin, do you yeah. have much contact with them at all? I mean, it's kind of almost uh, laughable. Like, I do the usual Lucia, you know, yeah. down at Conor Nagoilga. They, they have a Swedish Lucia evening yeah. every year. And I bring my kids, and they always remark, I'm like, there's fire on their head. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, okay, ever the cautious little, little man, good man, I taught you well. But... Uh, but yeah, so I think there's that is probably the most cultural sort of thing. And then obviously if Sweden shows up and plays a footy match, you're yeah. going to go and see them. But uh, beyond that, it's Ikea, you know? That's, like, that's yeah, really yeah. genuinely so it. You don't feel any great desire to sort of to seek out other people with a, the same heritage? No, I do. And I have pals here who are Swedish and uh, uh, my friends Linnea and Gary, uh, Swedish and Irish yeah. combo as well, which would sort of remind me a lot of my own family. And uh, in fact, one of their kids is called Kalle as well. So that's quite, hey, quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, great taste. <laughs> and um, but I think one of the interesting things for me is that seeking out a community has probably again not fallen on national lines or like a national identity. It's fallen along artistic lines. So I would be very involved in the spoken word community and the writers community, and that's probably where my tribe was, so to speak. And uh, sometimes Swedes show up there, but sometimes they don't. I guess yes. you know. Um, I suppose just a last sort of curious question because you mentioned a couple of times nationality and you mentioned spoken word, you mentioned art, that kind of thing. We're sitting at a time where there's a war going on, Russia has invaded yeah. Ukraine, uh, there's an election coming up in Sweden where like, yeah. an undercurrent of nationalism is going to play yes. a part in it. Yeah. Is, is there a possibility, is there, can we have a sort of a benign, inclusive nationalism or is it a bit like some of the poets have said, look, all nationalism is bad. As soon as you start yeah. gathering people around the flag, we're in trouble. You have two flags. Do you see any risk with that? Yeah. I mean, I think nationalism is such a sticky subject, isn't it? And it's like, there's far better writers and artists from both Sweden and Ireland, I think, who have probably tackled it better than I do. I think benign nationalism almost sounds like the name of a bad indie band doesn't it like, I don't know that it exists David Brent is the singer <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to die yeah um, so no. if it's benign what's the point of it kind of thing I suppose know? I think like instead of like I, I kind of I, I feel a little bit icky when I think about the term nationalism because it, it sort of brings up those notions of fervour and sort of chest stamping uh, thumping rather uh, chest stamping I guess as well perhaps it's a bit of that, yeah uh, um, but for me, it's like more. What are the great? Who are the great proponents of that culture? Like like Strömer and Lundqvist. Like poets are the ones I think of yeah. when I think of great Swedes. Or Zlatan, of course. Um, a great poet. Yeah. A, a great poet. Actually, like he's one of the rare guys who has a bit of fucking personality. Like, oh, tell you know me about I mean? it. Like, and they're so bland. It's all like was at the end of the day, it was just three points, and he's like, yeah. I am the king. Yeah. And yeah, I Lions love eat first. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Like, uh, like his quotes are quotables, bumper stickers all the way. <laughs> um, I've gone off on a tangent there, but yeah, I suppose benign nationalism uh, maybe can't happen, but we can always have poets who can speak truth to power as well. Given that there's some sort of a poll and always will be, can you ever see yourself living in Sweden again? Yeah, I could. I, I think it's a beautiful country, like you know that. Um, it's, it's a flawed but relatively good system, you know. Uh, I think they look after you unless 
they really don't look after you. <laughs> I think it's from well, the you're really Yeah, open. I think there's a little bit of that. But yeah, I could. I think the probably the one thing that drives me away and now this is going to sound ironic from an Irishman, is the weather. Like, it's so cold oh, yeah. there. It's so cold. And I don't think Irish people can understand. Like, I mean, you're talking like minus nine, minus ten on a good day. Like, you know? <laughs> and so, and then you go up to Lulio or Yevla or, up, or way up in Ore or whatever. Like, or Lulio is way up there, you know? That's that's cold, like, you can't conceive of. So I'd probably live in Yatabori or Malmö or maybe a bit further south, And but I could see it, and I, I think it would be a good place to raise a family. You tell me, is it a good place to raise a family? So far, so good. Yeah. I would use my children as a good example of anything there, you know, but it's definitely a good place to be. Well, if you do arrive over there, do look us up, we go and have a beer. Yeah, without a doubt. Thank was, you so much for talking to me. Oh, it was a pleasure, Phil. A man is proud of putting up a shelf, putting air in the tyres, or lighting a fire. A man is a gladiator. Getting up every morning. To fight the traffic. Wasting away in a job he barely likes. Breaking his heart until the next cup of tea or coffee. A man is only ever complete in the eyes of his mother. Butter in the hands of his children. A father juggling everything. And barely keeping it together. A man is taking the pledge. To get fucking locked. Drowning his problems. Alone. Fighting with his girlfriend. Texting his ex on his mobile phone. A man is a toad right brain. Full of first world problems. Rolling a joint on the sleeve of an album he used to love. A man is eyeing up your girlfriend. There you go. That is Callie Ryan there. Born, born actually in England, but raised here in Ireland, in Waterford. And Callie and uh, two other lads, Colin Keegan and Stephen James Smith, uh, wrote a play a few years ago, three men talking about things they kind of know about. And uh, if you visit his website, calliryan.com, you'll find a printed version of that. And there is, of course, also the audio version of it. I think they did it as a radio. I'm not sure if they did it for RTE or who they did it for, but uh, it's a play and it's, it's just amazing stuff. Like, it's well worth, especially in the times we're living in at the moment, uh, it's well worth a read, well worth paying attention to. Um, right now, I'm on Henry Street. I have the spire right in front of me. Um, the winter seems to be over here. It seems to be that the pandemic is coming to an end. Most of the people walking towards me now. Uh, there's a chap with a mask on his hand, but nobody actually wearing a whole lot of masks any, here anymore. Um, so it's probably a good time, or as good a time as any, for the Irish and Sweden, I suppose, to consider reconnecting and maybe getting on a plane and coming over here. It's not cheap, lads. The price have gone through the roof. The hotels are mad, and eating out is mad and that kind of thing. But, you know, if you're only over here for a week, you can kind of put up with that. I've had a fantastic time wandering around, listening to Martin Hayes playing his fiddle, sometimes with Dennis Cal, sometimes with the gloaming in my ears and listen to Luke Kelly when you're wandering around these streets. Of course, Luke is a singer with the Dubliners and it's a, a wonderful way to see your own city and your own country is to enjoy these things. Normal service will be resumed next week back in Sweden after over a month pretty much on the road now with a break of a couple of days when I came back from China there. But uh, normal service will be resumed. And of course, St. Patrick's Day is coming up in Stockholm. It's coming up everywhere, but uh, in Stockholm there's going to be a parade. There's going to be a bunch of stuff to do around that. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Remember, it is a listener-supported podcast, Ironman Stockholm, patreon.com forward slash Ironman in Stockholm. And then there's always Swish and all that kind of thing. You'll find all those numbers. And now there's another fella out here with his amplifier playing on the street. So uh, I'll leave you there because you probably won't be able to hear me very soon. But uh, have a great week and look after one another out there. And I'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>